Hello, I'm Jen Thomas and welcome to the Simple Life Chat, the podcast series which discovers what it really means to rent. And in today's episode, we're focusing on sustainability and how Simple Life works with choice partners to meet our collaborative goals. So it may not always feel like it, but sustainability is an issue that affects every one of us every single day, and the future consequences are enormous. So today, we're exploring ways in which organisations and individuals are taking action with us at Simple Life. I'm joined for this episode by four special guests who have a range of perspectives on these issues. So let's work around the virtual table, starting with Simple Life Home's Environmental, Social and Governance Director, Neve Waldron. Over to you. Um, hi, my name is Neve, and I work with Simple Life Homes as ESG Director. Um, sustainability to me actually is really quite simple. It's all about people and the planet. What it means to me is because I care about the people and the planet. My impact on the planet by my actions and what I'm going to leave behind when I leave. So what's my legacy going to be? I have a story with the story of the little hummingbird because people throw the word sustainability around quite a bit and they talk about it in very overwhelming, grandiose terms and it can confuse people. I say, well, you know, I can't do anything because I'm just a tiny little cog in a wheel. But actually the little hummingbird and the rainforest There was a fire and he used little drop at a time and all the other animals took the mickey out of him. Um, But actually he went back to them and said, you know, if I'm doing my bit, if everybody does their bit, and that's how I see my role within sustainability. My name is is Alex Roberts. I'm Group Sustainability Manager at Vistry Group. I'm responsible for the development and implementation of our sustainability strategy and I joined Vistry in March this year. So Vistria are a top UK house builder and leadership in partnership housing. And in fact, only last week, we won large house builder of the year at the house builder awards. You, you ask what sustainability means to me. And, you know, I could quote definitions back at you. It's the ability to continue or it's the uh, meeting the needs of the present generation without compromising the future generation's ability to meet their own needs. But for me, sustainability is really about purpose. Uh, my journey into s- sustainability started in the mountains in Chamonix in France. Um, I witnessed glaciers and, and how they were treated and I really wanted to do something about it. Um, but since then, things have moved on and, and now it's really about my children. I've got two young children, Benny, who's five, and Ren, who's just turned one. And it's really about uh, ensuring that there's a, a future that they can thrive in. Um, so that's really my focus. And I think it's really important for organisations to understand their purpose and how that links to sustainability as well. At Vistria, our purpose is to deliver sustainable homes and communities across all sectors of the UK housing market. And sustainability uh, is absolutely core to that purpose. Hi, my name's Ben Hall. I'm the uh, founder and managing director of Loft. We're a furnishing provider for the residential property sector. We're partnered with Simple Life on a number of different schemes. Um, Sustainability, you know, the continuation that Alex said and the people on the planet, Neve said, I suppose in my position as MD and owner of the business with 146, I think, employees now, it's very important for me to make sure that the business is making the right decisions and making sure that those people that we've employed feel secure and protected. And then everything else that goes around a global procurement business that you know imports furniture and installs it, making sure that that's done with sort of ethical and ecological consciousness. Um, 
my role as managing director, the company's grown so big now that I'm just trying to encourage everybody to become a little bit more conscious and take on that little hummingbird sort of mentality and try and do as raise the profile of doing good. You know, doing good is the right thing to do. So the more people that sort of lead in that space, the more people will think, oh, you know, I can do more in that in that way too. So over the last sort of five years, we've been doing as much as we can in the local community in Manchester and in West London. And from a procurement perspective, you know, we've, we, we've sort of, um, we've been a leader in our industry in, in making sure that the, the factories that we use and the materials that are used from those factories are uh, ethical and, 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 and sustainably sort of forested and, and manufactured. We, we also provide a removal and replacement service for furnishings within residential properties. And a lot of that furniture is recycled and upcycled and donated to charities. And we've got a big waste management facility, both in Manchester and London. So we're doing, we're doing everything we can to raise the level of consciousness around what sustainability is. Hi, my name is Phil. I'm the sales director and co-founder of Pink Sheep Marketing. We supply simple life with branded merchandise and printing and have, have done so for around about three years or so. It says items like brochures, bottles, signage, jackets and clothing and things like that. And we try and help them do that in a sustainable way. Um, in 2020, we set ourselves the goal of becoming the industry leader in sustainable merchandise. And we de developed our own unique sustainability scheme, which Simple Life are a keen member of and have, have been so since 2020. The question of what does sustainability mean to me? It's really it's a voyage of discovery really on a personal level, but also for, for my company, Pink Sheep too. If you'd have asked me the same question three years ago, my opinion would have been that sustainability was a buzzword that businesses were using really to look good or to tick a box and to kind of please their clients, so to speak. Fast forward to today um, and running a business is now not just about turning a profit or growing the business in size. It's also about creating a positive impact which we can leave behind in our legacy like somebody else mentioned i feel exactly the same way it adds another dimension to the business that we can all focus on and i, I truly enjoy that as i become more involved in it and i'm learning you know a lot along the way you kind of have that sudden realization that everything you touch has an impact on sustainability there's there is no way of being a hundred percent sustainable and so we now need to try and learn how to balance that we all need to buy things and to use things, but how do we do that and remain a functional society whilst remaining sustainable or becoming sustainable? That's kind of the goal. And obviously we're a small cog in a much bigger wheel, like someone else said. Thank you very much. So to start things off, if we say talking about sustainability, how do you think that the space has developed over the last two years? I joined um, Simple Life just a year ago. And when I joined sustainability, a little bit like the others have been saying, was a buzzword. It was an element of box ticking. There was an element of lots of very varying parts to it. And every day it was a different part to it that seemed to matter. Over the last two years, there've been COP26 has had a huge impact. The government's plans have had huge impact global climate change. But I think for me, what I love about it is it's the voice of youth. I think if we can really grab hold of and nurture and listen, but more importantly, hear what it is they're saying and then be proactive and act with them rather than setting them aside, actually work with them and see how can we achieve. You know, we have all these goals and terms 
brandished around net zero and decarbonisation. And we have the government's 10-point plan. But as soon as a 10-point plan is on paper, the 10-point plan changes and we move from 2023 to 2025 for boilers. We say that you know EV points have to be in, in all new homes. But is that from today or is it from the next planning, which will only be in five years' time? Um, and then we talk about green funds. And I read a very interesting article in the Financial Times at the weekend about how even that is a very grey rather than green area. So I think over the past two years, certainly over the last year for me, it's changed hugely. Yeah, I, I would agree and particularly pull out the comment you made around young people. That if you cast your minds back to time before COVID-19, People were protesting, students were striking, local authorities, governments and organisations were declaring climate and biodiversity emergencies. The UK government enshrined a net zero carbon target into law. And I think it was really around that time, two years ago now, that the expectations of many of our stakeholders at Vistry, they just radically changed. Our customers, our clients, our people, our investors. It's a radically different space we're operating in now. I've been working in sustainability for more than a decade and probably for the last 10 years, I've had to try really hard to, to knock doors down, to convince people to take sustainability seriously, just to start a conversation. It's radically shifted now. The doors are open. People understand what sustainability means. Really challenging commitments are being made. You know, at Vistry, we've committed to the business ambition for 1.5 degrees C. We're setting science-based targets. And you know, we're holding ourselves to account for delivering against those targets as well. We've got a roadmap to deliver net zero carbon homes. And we're just in a radically different space to what, to what we were 18 months or two years ago. It's, it's very different. And I think people can get quite disillusioned with sustainability sometimes. There was a certain amount of disappointment from, from some people around COP26. But actually, when you're in, directly involved in sustainability, it feels completely different to, to what, it, what it did only two years ago. Um, it's a different world now. The way that I would term it is I think sustainability is an issue that's now reached escaped velocity. So it's kind of a few years ago, it wasn't clear whether it was a fad or it was something that was going to go away or if it was going to be around for a few years and then everyone get fed up of it. But I think it's, a, it's, it's, it's really quite clear now that this isn't going away and it's here to stay. And, and people are waking up to that at different times. So we woke up to this maybe a couple of years ago. Some people we speak to still today really aren't bothered by it. And it's how do we kind of convince those people to jump on the bandwagon? I think, Alex, as you said, so once you're on board, it all becomes a lot clearer. It's like, yeah, I, how did I not see this before? Like, this is a really obvious thing that everyone needs to try and do better at. And that's just a really in interesting point you made there. I think we've been lucky enough to position ourselves as the leader in our industry in, in sustainable merchandise. And so we're at the forefront of it. And so we're lucky enough to be having conversations with manufacturers and, and like large players in our industry. And so we've been exposed to the changes that are, are being made quicker than most i'd say and um, there's two points i'd kind of like to make on this and the first one being that many manufacturers do seem to be putting a lot of genuine effort into this which is really great to see and i think we should all encourage them to do so i know that sometimes there's a, people always trying to twist what they're doing into negativity but actually truly they are trying to at least start to make the right the right moves in, in the market you know it's definitely become more headline news as uh, we've all started to realize how serious sustainability is and climate change is. And I think that what we found is we do a lot of work with um, large corporate organizations, um, 
you know, pension funds, institutional asset managers who ask us to provide a furnishing solution for their portfolio. And, and, and what we found is that the tendering process has become much more stringent when it comes to sort of ESG and CSR, which in turn actually sort of like makes our service a little bit more expensive in order to, to administrate a little bit further and do a little bit dig a little bit deeper with regards to where the product's actually coming from and how it's manufactured and how it's imported or, or distributed in the country. And, you know, like Phil's just said, manufacturers and construction companies and, and funds and, and those that are controlling these contracts are starting to take this very seriously now. And it's a, it's a prerequisite of a, of a tender document and, and sort of we've only just started to see that in the last sort of 18 months, two years certainly all of the stuff that we're doing in the future we're quite fortunate that we were thinking about this out of choice quite early and we were looking at our supply chain quite early because we were a bit worried about the whole throwaway fashion culture because you know furniture is fashion and and reusing furniture and recycling it is 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 super important on the back end yeah just to come in there you know in, in construction when we look at our impact in carbon emissions for example we look at our scope three emissions so our value chain you know, more than 90% of our of our impact sits there. So, you know, we're looking at our, our supply chain, the manufacturers, the materials that, that, that we use and, and and looking across at them and really how can they support us on on this journey? And, uh, you know, are they committed to science-based targets as well? And, and that does become a factor in, in the sort of choices that you make. What's reassuring is there's lots of us in within these organizations having similar conversations and, and working to the same sort of ambitious targets. So, um, lots of us pushing in the same direction. It's just unfortunate that it's it is going to come at a cost, and it's trying to encourage people that if you are if you are, if you are actually consciously trying to do good, then there is an additional cost to use those materials because it, it you know nine times out of ten, if they're following the scientific guidelines or the the climate change guidelines, then it does become a little bit more expensive to produce. But actually, what you're doing is you're protecting. The planet longer term or the people longer term um to me uh, yeah boys those are those are really good points but it comes down to behaviors do we have a responsibility to change people's behaviors and how do we do that because we come back to the cost we come back to how people are living their lives we can put the opportunities there but actually i do think in the last two years certainly for me and take this role i am more aware of where I get, you know, supply chains, Alex, you're talking about in terms of building homes, but supply chains as a home user and how we live our lives, you know, where do I get my food from? Where do I choose to get my clothes from? Am I prepared to pay a little bit more? I have recently got an adorable little granddaughter and looking for new clothes and toys for her, I've made a conscious effort to look for things not made in certain countries because I'm not sure of the supply chain and how do I check it? And it is so difficult. And so we've got to balance and how do we balance that cost differential for families um, when they're trying to just get on with, you know, that act of living in our hopefully wonderfully um, efficient and sustainable homes. I think my my response kind of ties in nicely to yours, Neve, actually, because what we're finding is I think finally it's kind of free market forces are now starting to work in favor of sustainability. So we're actually finding that the people that are adopting a sustainable outlook commercially are now attracting more clientele. 
And I think that's a great thing because obviously it, it encourages more people to kind of tr- jump on the bandwagon. You've got to be careful because obviously you don't want people just to do it to tick a box, so to speak. So I think that's a, a really a, a really major thing. I think in, in terms of where we are as a society, we're, we're all obsessed with information. And certainly from our sustainability side of things, which Neve, like you might have some feedback on this for us, but what we've found is that as soon as we started giving people very clear, concise information that they could then make a conscious buying decision on, they actually chose without pressure to make that, that buying decision. So for example, we might have an option to buy pen A, which comes from the Far East and is made of virgin plastic, which costs 10p, or pen B, which is double the price, but comes from Germany and lasts twice as long. And actually, when you have data on that and you can present it in a very clear manner to people, we're really surprised and encouraged with how many people are actually choosing to buy something that is more expensive, but because all the information is presented correctly, it makes it a very easy decision to make. I actually think part of the problem or, or the hurdle to jump over here is the information. It's Before we were doing what we were doing on our scheme, it would take hours to get the information and it's a massive hurdle. Yeah, I, I just think that just to build on Phil's point, I think there's the challenge is around the complexity of the sustainability agenda and making sure that consumers are well informed to make the right decision. You know, Take the switch away from single-use plastic bags, for example. Somebody might switch to a paper bag or they might switch to a biodegradable bag. But actually then... When you look at the embodied carbon associated with a compostable plastic bag, it could be three times that of the single-use plastic bag. And, and making sure that consumers really understand the impact of their decisions is, is just vital. And if I, I compare it to house building, you know, we, we're setting challenging targets to reduce the carbon impact of the operational energy, so the energy that people use in their homes. But the risk and the potential unintended consequences then that you shift the burden to embody carbon. So you increase insulation, you, you bring in new technology like air source heat pumps and solar panels, you increase the embodied carbon. And that's a real issue because that's carbon that's in the atmosphere today. And we just need to make sure that we're considering and balancing our decisions across this, this, this whole wide sustainability spectrum. And it, it's really complex and really challenging for people to make the right decisions, I think. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, but going back, um, Phil, to your point about the data and having the information, you still get that question of, but so what? I give information about the energy that uh, PV panels uh, generate, or I say we've planted so many trees, but people need to understand the so what associated with it. You know, But what does that compare to in my everyday life? I don't understand the language and I think we need to make that language simpler for people to understand. I do think <laughs> that sometimes, and it was the same in my previous um, role in education, we, we make a language very com- complicated. It's almost like we don't want the everyday people to actually understand it because they might actually realize that it's much, much simpler than some people are actually making it out to be. And really, is it that easy? All I've got, yeah, exactly. All I've got to do is be a kind person, look after the people next to me and the planet, throw my rubbish. Oh, it's that easy. Okay, I can do that. And is it going to cost me a little bit more? Okay, yeah, it might. Okay, I can can do that. And then their expectations change. 
their expectations of us change and therefore our expectations of our you know partners and i think it comes down i mean one of my huge focuses is building partnerships yeah, i think that greenwashing as a phrase as a brand gets thrown around and devalues a lot of good work that gets done i got accused of greenwashing for personally planting 25,000 trees with my company. In what way is that greenwashing? You know, like I'm, you know, I'm trying to get my people outside. I'm trying to get them understanding it. I've got lots of young, impressionable staff who will then go and talk to their friends about it. And people were saying, well, Ben, you're greenwashing your business because you you went out and started actively planting trees. It's a really dangerous place to be. It's like, it's like the word conspiracy theory. It's like people who throw conspiracy theory at climate change, suddenly just devaluing any work that you try and do that you've got to combat the, the the critics quite um powerfully really by action though you know you know that, that that's how it has to be it can't be as simple as just going out and planting a tree is basically what we're saying it can't you know it and it is it it is in some ways well it's one step isn't it it's just trying to find ways that you can you know yeah absolutely uh, do good and raise the profile of doing good at the same time i i think it's like like i said initially i, I see it as a voyage of discovery because, and I, I very much approach this as I, I don't know everything about this, and I'm learning so much along the way here. I'll, I'll learn stuff from today's conversations. I'm sure, assuming you guys will do as well. Your point, though, Ben, about the tree planting is, is I mean, that, that is frustrating because you've got to start somewhere. And you're, say, let's say that your starting point was planting 25,000 trees, which is 25,000 trees more than most people it's not just the act of planting the trees. It's the fact you're now immersed in an industry, say sustainability, where you're now, you know, putting a lot of brain time into that and quantifying, is this a good or a bad thing to do? I mean, if everyone was to do that, that's a really powerful thing. So typically, I, I try to twist everything into a positive with this. If someone is trying to do the right thing, but I don't agree with it, or it's not what I think I would do, I still say, well done, because they've got to start somewhere. There, there, are, there are lots, I think Neve sort of summarized it really well. It's, it's, not, as, it's not as complicated as the word sustainability is to, to sort of spell it out, you know, like it's, it's pretty simple. I think that what everyone's really concerned about is it actually means consume less and, and waste less, you know, don't, don't be wasteful and don't consume unless you actually have to. And I think that that's what makes the, the powers that be quite nervous about this whole sustainability piece because clearly we need more housing but we need to do that in a sustainable way that you know that doesn't necessarily mean that you need to go and, and consume without sort of consciousness it's 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 a fine line yeah and, and and then it comes back to the question of money and cost and and then we get to that question where every time i'm on a sort of webinar and i'm listening to and i will say powers that be and people with real who could if they wanted to make a really strong case and a really strong point for example planners if all planners were consistent in what they asked us and if they said you have to have ev points in and you have to we would find a way of doing it and um, if we made a conscious decision as, as a nation or as people to say i'm not buying things from a or b because I don't agree with this policy or that policy. Um, if we get away from the idea that a T-shirt costs 50p to buy, no, it doesn't. <laughs> it cannot and it should not. And so we need to change how we behave as people towards one another and stop burying our heads in the sand thinking that things actually cost as little as they do. Uh, you, you know, I've, I've got friends who are farmers 
who throw away mountains of food because the carrot's not the right shape or the potatoes are not the right size or and that's just ludicrous and totally ludicrous yeah that's that's a good point I mean the things cost more than they do in pounds and pence I bet the ugly carrots taste better Nate yes they do The ones I grow definitely don't don't have the, the right shape. I made some rainbow multicolored ones, which were ugly but had the lovely colors. Uh, just to, to move on to the next point, if we may, given the focus on decarbonisation and net zero and biodiversity, to, to name some of the things uh, that many companies are, are focusing on at the moment, what would you say are your focus points at the moment? Whoever would like to start there, we, we had um, we had somebody come into the business recently and 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 look at advising us on um carbon neutrality and net zero we had a consultant come in and sort of make it sort of like a mean average guess at what our carbon footprint looked like you know we are still importing large amounts of furniture from different parts of the world and and you know we're part of that manufacturing supply chain and then came up with ways that we could sort of become more efficient with the amount of sort of carbon that we were, that we were creating as a business and also looked at the entire sort of process map and workflow of our entire business. And obviously I think Phil made the point that you can't be a hundred percent sustainable, but you can, you can sort of identify areas that are sort of like, you know, that can be controlled. And, and I think that there is a sort of consultancy cost to, to looking at that, but there are, there are definitely, um, you know, efficiencies. I think, I think it's, I think it all came down to waste. I think the biggest things that they, they identified was where are the biggest amount of waste was created within the business. And that was the most unsustainable element of our entire process and i think that 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 that's essentially what you know sustainability comes back to is waste less and that's a really um good point for me it's to control the controllables and it goes back to that making it um unachievable or sort of overwhelming for people when we talk about everything that we talk about um let's make it manageable take small steps make small changes um, make big changes if it's one big change that you know you can make and it's a controllable change you can make. But we've got to start taking those proactive decisions together. So, for instance, one thing that we did, and this is a good example, actually. So I've got, I think now we've got about 33 vehicles. And the 33 vehicles, that bearing in mind that I started with zero. And, and they, they now we have um, ESO, and uh, not, not that they're particularly sustainable, but we have the petrol or the fuel companies come to our warehousing twice a week and fill up all of our vans rather than our vans all going to individual petrol stations and filling up themselves. And it's the difference in the the carbon footprint that you then create because you're not traveling to and from a petrol station is huge over the course of, you know, a five or a 10 year period, especially when you're doing the amount of miles that we're doing. So this it's a small thing, but it had a massive impact on our carbon footprint. And um, it's a really interesting exercise um, if, you, if you've got a supply chain business. That's pretty fascinating. Uh, that's, um, I'd love to hear more about that, actually. Yeah, yeah, we got, we got, we got a whole, we, get, we had a whole report done with the, with the tree planting guys that we did because I wanted to sort of commit next year to plant, to literally, I think they, the, the, the guys at Gone West, they, they, they say that the average person creates 26 trees worth of carbon every year. So to offset your carbon footprint, you need to plant 26 trees. Obviously, it takes a long time for those trees to actually neutralize that carbon. And there's a lot of other things that you can do as well, like not waste. But we had someone come in and actually go end to end on our process map um, for our entire company and, and, and make suggestions for where we could improve. And that, that fuel, the refueling of our vehicles done by an external 
company was massive for us. And that's a similar uh, decision um, that we've made um, in terms of, you know, when you have 4,000 houses and you've got people who need, you know, maintenance done, when you have a team who then look at all the jobs that need doing and bunch them together rather than going out. But more importantly, self-fixing. They don't know how to empty the vacuum cleaner. They're like, the vacuum cleaner's broken. And we're like, we go around there and it's like, well, you haven't emptied it. Yeah. And so things like self-help, and I think this is where social media and, and online and having an app like we have at the moment um, where we can upload these things, you know, little clips to help people to find a solution. There's nothing more rewarding than finding the solution for yourself than actually having to phone somebody and think, oh gosh, I don't actually know how to do it. Let's have a go myself. I can see you've been raising your hand there, Alex, if you want to come in. Yeah, thank you. I was was just going to talk about uh, our our priorities in terms of sustainability, which we absolutely know what they are. We, We carried out an assessment of uh, what is important to our stakeholders and what's important to our business. And and our sustainability strategy is framed around those priorities. It falls into three categories of people, operations and homes and communities. And it touches issues like jobs and training, health and wellbeing, diversity and inclusion, waste and resources, climate change, placemaking, social value, the actual quality of the, the homes that we build and uh, product design and life cycle management, the delivery of affordable housing as well. But perhaps one of the, one of the key focuses in there is, is around climate change. And, and we, we've, we've mapped out, so we, we've created a roadmap to deliver zero carbon homes. Those net zero carbon homes are referring to regulated energy. So it's net zero carbon in terms of the ventilation, the lighting and the heating. And we, did, we did tackle embodied carbon by increasing the amount of timber that we use in the project. And we, we've got a roadmap to deliver net zero carbon homes in their fullest sense, in, which is a target of 2040. On the uh, the part about what our focus is as a business, um, it's a really tough question to answer. We've got a slightly different answer to most, I think. So obviously, we started our sustainability journey by planting trees for our customers based on the orders that they were placing with us. And initially, this was really well received. And uh, we're really the only company in our industry doing it properly, to be honest. And so it gave us something unique, which people liked. But over time, and as our clients and ourselves became more informed and engaged around sustainability, we started to realize that planting trees wasn't the only answer. So obviously, on that journey, we learned that the trees that we were planting wouldn't really have any impact on CO2 for many years. And so we improved our sustainability scheme and we multiplied the amount of trees we were planting by 10. And then we started also in conjunction with that, offsetting 0.1 tonnes of CO2 each time the tree, uh, each time we planted a tree. So the CO2 offset was for a brighter uh, today and the tree planted for a brighter tomorrow, so to speak. We came to understand that everyone was on their own voyage of discovery in this space and everyone was adopting their own opinion on what we as a species should be doing to tackle sustainability. And we learned that many people um, weren't interested in tree planting or CO2 offsetting at all. And in fact, they were more concerned with something like ocean bound plastic and removing that from the oceans. And so we upgraded what we were doing again and we made that an option for people. So now when they spend money with us, they can choose tree planting carbon offsetting or ocean-bound plastic recovery. So we're giving people a choice on what they wanted to support. So to to summarise where I'm going, we don't really have a single focus and we're taking a very broad approach to this whole issue. So we can support whatever impact is important to our clients. 
we believe that's the right approach because if we're all honest, none of us actually know what the answer is to this. What we believe today to be the biggest problem will one day prove maybe not to be so. So we'll remain flexible and supportive no matter what your sustainability goals are. One of the things about the trees, you know, and yes, trees are really important and he talks about the ocean. I think on the UN SDGs, when we talk about which ones we're aligning ourselves with, you know, it's not just the land. And just because we don't live by the sea doesn't mean we shouldn't be focusing and remembering that actually carbon sequestration happens at a greater level if we rewild ironically, the seafloor with seagrass. And I have a friend who's got a fantastic project, seagrass project on that. So this look for different ways of just doing it. And that's one of the ways that, that we're doing that with Phil. I, I, I just wonder if it's important just as we as we talk around tree planting, just to stress that tree planting and carbon offsetting, of course, is, is an important step in this journey. But for organizations or for individuals, it's also really important to understand exactly where your impact is and to have a plan to reduce that impact. If you're an individual, you could go on to the um, you know, WWF, for example, uh, you could calculate your carbon footprint, understand where your impact is and, and identify some measures and a plan to reduce them and, and align that with your, your offsetting or your tree planting as well. Collaboration is hugely important, but we've got to balance collaboration with competition and with cost and return for investors. And until we can sort of really delve down deep and try and work through that one. Um, I think it'll continue to be a challenge for all of us. I think for us as a group, we collaborate really, really well together. Um, and I think if there can be more groups like that who collaborate and who, who come up with great ideas, uh, you know, Alex and myself had a fabulous meeting last week about trying to look at, you know, a, a village where we would have, and then I'd be getting Ben involved and then I'm talking to Phil and see how we can, you know, Collaboration is hugely important, but people have got to understand that to collaborate means to honestly communicate with one another. Don't hide things. Actually work together to find a solution. Don't tell me one thing and then go off to somebody else and tell them something else or try and get the best deal. If we're going to collaborate, we need to collaborate properly and meaningfully. These wicked problems we have are so difficult to solve. We're only going to solve them if we work together. And there's no winners or losers in climate change. It's, it's not like company A wins and company B loses. We all win or lose together. Of course, we, we've got to work together. And perhaps one of my frustrations sometimes with collaboration is we, we get together, we collaborate, we come up with the good ideas, but the key is then to take those ideas and actually deliver against them and, and make them happen and, and keep that momentum up. But I actually think that the, in the whole collaboration journey, it's that ability to be one vulnerable and accept that we don't know it all and be wrong. And, and as an educator, you know, I learned from children all the way through my life as a teacher and a head teacher. They always were one step ahead of me. Always. And as soon as you accept that, that other people might, goodness, know a little bit more than you and you were prepared to listen and hear it, then it'll work. And that comes back to my point earlier about, you know, is it our job to change how people live their lives? Is it our job to say to people, you know, you shouldn't be driving this car? Maybe not, but it's our job to provide them with the opportunities to make educated and positive choices. So if we don't have the recycling bins for clothes close to the homes that we and the communities that we work in. If we don't have homes that are near to primary schools where young people can actually walk to school, if we don't engage with those primary schools and if we don't provide those opportunities, then we can't expect people to change or make positive decisions 
you know, we can just, it's not a case of just giving them a home and, you know, saying, right, pay your rent and we'll just be in the background. It's actually acting together. And that comes back to that partnership. It's actually, you know, saying to, to Ben, you know, can, we're working with a charity locally. Can you help out? Um, they need an, uh, you know, some furnishings. Can you help us rather than them wasting their hard earned funds? Can we actually work together? You've got a great sustainability recycling policy. You know, can we work together? Can we work? It's working together and just working with people um, in a positive way. It's easy. <laughs> Dare I say it? I've definitely lived in some developments where there are just skips general skips to put the rubbish in for this entire block of 200, 300 flats compared to, say, my parents who have four different types of recycling bins, one for glass, one for cans, one for this. The houses on the same street will have all of these separate bins, but the block of flats has a skip. So it does seem like if that, as you say, Neve, if those facilities aren't put there, then we can't do it or it makes it very difficult to arrange it. You would contact the council and they would say, oh, use the facilities that you have. So sometimes... People want to do the right thing, but these hurdles and things are, are put in place. Um, I can see that you were putting your hand up there. Sorry, Phil. Um, you were saying about, we were talking about the points of the focus of your business. Were you wanting to come in there? Yeah, yeah, I can say. I, I just found this a really interesting discussion about, I, I'm I'm definitely not in the home building arena. So just kind of listening to you guys talk about it is, is pretty interesting for me. I didn't know there was a net zero home. I think that's really interesting. But it's definitely not the most profitable thing for us to do. But it, it is the right thing to do. Yeah, that's the key. Are we do why are we doing it? And we're doing it for the right reasons because we care. And when I went back to you know what does sustainability mean to me? A bit like Alex was saying, it could be a myriad of definitions depending on which you know Google platform you go into or which. You know, but for me, it's about people and the planet and the future. What am I leaving behind by my actions? Have I sat back and done absolutely nothing and moaned about things? Or have I actually gotten up and done something? Not everybody's going to come on the journey, as Phil was saying. Not everybody's going to come on the journey with me. And some people will be very cynical about the journey. Uh, but that's life and, and people will be cynical, whatever. But it just doesn't mean I shouldn't do anything. I, 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 it might just be me in particular here, just the way that my brain is wired. But as soon as I make something a hobby, I just I just go deep down the rabbit hole. And that, that's when I start to really kind of rev up and really get into something. Like I, I don't see any of the sustainability stuff we've done at Pink Sheep as work. It's all become a hobby. And I think the person that makes something a hobby, I think, is, is much more valuable than someone that's doing it just to kind of get a paycheck. So I think, like Neve, like you're saying, you, you obviously this is your job, but you absolutely love it. I think if everyone in your position had that enthusiasm, that'd be great. <laughs> but, you know, I meet the most incredible people. Last week, I went down to Manchester and I met one of our residents. Um, fabulous story. If you don't get out and meet people, you never hear them. We can't do it on a, a screen all the time. We can't do it on an email. I would never have met this. I won't name her. She'll know who she is if she's listening to this. But we, we put in, she wanted a bench. We have a lovely green space. She wanted a bench for people to sit on and enjoy nature. She's got foxes and deer and goodness knows what all around. But there was nowhere to sit. Now, there was a background story to it that it was a family connection. She was overlooking the fields that she'd grown up um, near as a child. Um, 
But I went down to meet her. And as a result of that, putting that bench in and having a coffee and sitting and having a chat, I found out all the other stuff she's doing in her local community. You know, the volunteering work she's doing, the Christmas passes she's putting together. We actually had that lady on the podcast. Uh, Delhi was on talking about wanting that bench and talking about her experiences and, and everything that it meant to her. Uh, she was a, a fabulous lady. Can I just add a point? I just wanted to make a point on, uh, we were talking about decision-making. Um, and, and I think what, what's really important is, is to help individuals make the right decision by making the right decision the easy one, but also to consider that, you know, we're, we're all flawed human beings. So, of course, at times we make the wrong decision. And I think there's an opportunity to take that decision making out of your own hands. So it could be switching your electricity to 100% renewable electricity or looking at your bank and perhaps choosing an ethical bank instead. Um, and once that change is made, you then don't have to make the decision. So you, you can make it much you know, much easier for yourself to, to do the right thing. And you've mentioned about all working together and about supporting each other and believing in what you all do. How important do you feel that collaboration is in this space and how can people achieve it and what more can be done? So I think a lot of it's been covered by the guys on the call, but I suppose collaboration is looking for positive partnerships that you know cover different bases from the ones that you're covering as well so you know like learning about other industries like merchandising or house building um or operating uh you know understanding you know i, I would never have consciously been aware that it's the, the the location of a of a clothes donation space is important for you know the residents and, and and thinking about actually what happens after my piece of the supply chain within this entire process so collaboration enables you to be able to understand a lot more about how, how broad this topic actually is and uh, you know rather than only focusing on your own piece understanding other areas of it and sort of trying to uh, think ahead a little bit about the impact of what you're doing and how, how far that can go, that ripple effect, you know, and collaboration is education, isn't it? And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're super, Loft is super open. Like, you know, we're, we're, we're not, you know, like even with our uh, competitors, you know, we share knowledge and even, you know, it, it's, it's all about learning from one another from experience and, and, and we, we all get to where we want to get to quicker if, we, if we're open and we're honest. You know, that's, you know, not always been profitable for me to be that way, but, um, at least I'm headed for Nirvana when I when I when I go to sleep. <laughs> and it and it comes down to your values. It comes down to living your values. Yeah, and if you lead like that, I've got a lot of young people in my business. You know, mean average of my company is like I think 28, something like that. If you take my dad out of it, and like they 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 are attracted to working at Loft because they they understand that the company values are are, are what they are, and we the the people that own the company live and breathe those. I think that's one of the biggest challenges. I think collaboration is one of our our greatest challenges, just as people, because we're naturally competitive, and business is competitive. Um, we all want obviously the deal, or we all want uh, to to be successful, and so the challenge is how do we collaborate and trust and honesty and put all of those things in there. Um, I mean, the, the, there are a multitude of challenges, but I actually see challenge as an opportunity. So all, any challenge that's out there, it is an opportunity to, to find a solution and the solutions are out there. 
and we do need to work together to find them. But I think we need to almost be brave enough to block out those that are not interested in the same values. Are we brave enough to shut off certain companies? Are we brave enough to actually remove ourselves from certain social media platforms, maybe as a company did recently, at a cost to them, but actually maybe it'll be a positive cost going forward. So, I mean, for me, I think any challenge is an opportunity and collaboration is a definite opportunity. And with that race to zero, are there are there any things in particular that you think are going to be challenges that we might face in this race to, to zero? I think the biggest, for me, looking from um, the position that I'm in, I think the biggest challenge is, uh, challenges are cost, the skills and the time scale. I think, you know, we we set or we don't, certain powers that be will set these goals out of what seem to me sometimes nowhere and then they'll move those goalposts and and they think have you actually sat down and considered the skills that are going to be needed the technology that's going to be needed you know we've got all these lovely electric cars all over the road and i appreciate there's the plus and the minus but we've got to start somewhere um but trying to get it charged when you're you know there's broken chargers there's chargers that, that are just not enough you know we've got to make sure we've got the infrastructure in place to facilitate all of these wonderful goals don't get me wrong um absolutely wonderful goals but i think the biggest challenge will be cost skills and a time scale and being realistic and setting manageable real targets that are smart targets when i was in education you you children set themselves smart targets which means they're measurable which means they have to they're accountable for them you can't just set a target and forget about it that that's leads on perfectly to my my response to it actually new so um, whenever we've got a customer interested in joining our sustainability scheme aura the one thing that we can do which no one else in our industry can do is track and measure your sustainability for the items we sell you so obviously with this race to zero it's all very well but how are people going to track it how are people going to truly measure that? It's a very difficult thing. And I think there's actually no standard for that at the moment as well. It's um, a pretty difficult thing to do. And so like when we talk to people just from, from the items we sell them, they're, they're in their branded merchandise, for example, they've, they've got an, you know a big blue chip brand has, has a vision to be net zero and be as sustainable as possible. And we say, well, how are you tracking it? How are you tracking how sustainable your merchandise is? And they honestly, they aren't. There is no way of doing that until we we did our scheme. So, I think that's certainly a difficult one to get around in a in, a, in certain industries. But I think it will happen over time. It's a huge challenge. That you know, the data and measuring and monitoring impact is a huge challenge. And we, we, you know, we're we're on that journey now. We're we're getting a, a you know a third party to carry out a limited assurance on the data to demonstrate that it's you know it's robust and it's it's accurate. But it's a it's a big challenge. But also, Neve, you we can foresee huge challenges around skills green skills in particular from 2025 new homes won't have gas boilers who's going to install them where are they going to come from and all of those all of those challenges within the supply chain are, are, they're there they're, they're real challenges there but that doesn't mean we shouldn't have you know really high aspirations but we do need to keep in check and just keep pushing forward because you know 
the opportunities are there. Exactly, and and we will we will make it, and it will happen. It absolutely will happen. Well, thank you all so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. You made my job very easy. Uh, I just sit and listen and learn. Um, but just to to say thank you to all of you for your time today and for taking part. I appreciate being invited. It's been fun. Thanks so much uh, to Neve and everybody from Simple Life. Um, thank you for having faith in us, and uh, here's to a sustainable future. Thank you, everyone. And yeah, hopefully this is the start of a conversation rather than the end of it. I would like to say a personal thank you on behalf of Simple Life to Alex and to Phil and obviously to Ben, um, because I've really enjoyed this conversation. And I think conversations are the way forward. We need to keep these going. And there we have it. Thanks again to all of my guests on this edition of the Simple Life Chat. Neve Waldron, Alex Roberts, Benjamin Hall and Phil Law. And as always, you can get more information on today's issues at the official website, simplelifehomes.co.uk. See you next time.